All right, a Thursday night live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in. 8 o'clock, Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Of course, streaming on all our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Rumble, Parlor, YouTube, Twitch. Glad you're in. Rick Delgado's here. He's going to do some news. How are you? I am well. How about yourself? Uh, busy news day or no? What's going on? Yeah, lots lots of stuff going on. Okay. It'll be interesting. Rick Emirati's here with sports. Mr. Emirati, how are you? Good. Big day. How are you today? Good. What's coming up in sports? Well, we got round one of the Zurich Classic in New Orleans PGA. We got a couple of rodeo reports tonight. We'll have some other scores and stories. Okay. Uh, very good. Um... What'd you say, Gene? No audio on our stream? Okay, great. I have no idea why. Um, Well, lots to do. We'll take a look at that when we get to the first social media break. Uh, Lots to talk about. And uh, just a continuation of what I continue to tell you is that we're under attack at all levels um, under this president, who um, more and more continue him and his party and his vice president. You You have to really question... What they really think of the country at this point, what they think of you, the citizens, uh, whether they think the country is, um, I don't know. They just don't seem to like it very much. They just continually attack it in every single way. It's just one thing after another. Now, Joe Biden today basically tanks the markets because he floats this idea of raising taxes, which I'll get to in a second. You have them voting party lines today on uh, D.C. statehood. And uh, I was going to start on one of those two until I found Victor Davis Hanson today. How much ruin do we have left, he says. As Americans know from their own illustrious history, any nation's well-being hinges on only a few factors. Number one, it's prosperity. Number two, it's freedom and overall stability depend on its constitutional and political stability. A secure currency and financial order are also essential, as is a strong military. Perhaps most important is a first-rate inductive educational system. Of course, nothing is possible without general social calm, often dependent on a reverence for the past and, of course, secure borders. The ability to produce or easily acquire food, fuel, and key natural resources ensures a nation's independence and autonomy. Unfortunately, in the last few months, All of those centuries-old reasons to be confident in American strength and resiliency have been put into doubt. The challenge is not just enemies abroad, such as China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. The greater problem lies within. As we erode the inherited and acquired strengths that made us singularly both materially and spiritually. We are now witnessing a concerted effort to alter the constitutional order and centuries of custom and tradition. 
the left believes that's the only way it can retain its transient power given the unpopularity of most of its current agenda. A nation's institutions are its bedrock, yet the Electoral College and the Constitution's emphasis on individual states establishing voting laws are under assault. Already gone is the 176-year-old tradition of a pivotal November election day, the 152-year-old nine-member Supreme Court, the 184-year-old Senate filibuster, and the 62-year-old idea of a 50-state union are all now under attack and being targeted by the new Democratic Party. Given that the last presidential election was a hotly contested election, that Democratic congressional majorities are minuscule, and that the Supreme Court is unsympathetic, the left seeks to change the rules to stay in power rather than adjust its unpopular policies. We are running up against vast multi-trillion dollar annual deficits as we race to a $30 trillion national debt. More worrisome, our elites justify the spending with stories about debt being irrelevant or inflation and stagflation being relics of the past even as prices are now soaring. And I will break down some of those prices for you here later in the show. After costly strategic stagnation in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Libya, our military is now turning on its own. Some of the politicized top brass seem more worried about the politics of their own soldiers than the dangers of foreign militaries. Our public schools and colleges are systematically downplaying Uh, curriculum and substituting ideological racial and cultural litmus tests admissions now often hinge as much on race gender and ethnicity as being a qualified and having qualifying achievements the first amendment and fifth amendment covering free speech and due process have vanished on most most college campuses the year 2020 saw the most destructive riots in american history yet very few of the looters arsonists and rioters were ever indicted most were never even arrested whether government arrests violent protesters or those assembling in mosques and breaking quarantines is contingent on their ideology private monopolies that control most of the written communications of american censor expression entirely on the basis of politics They seek to erase our founding in 1776. Mobs tear down statues, deface monuments with impunity. There is no consistent rhyme or reason to why the names of schools, institutions, and streets are erased overnight. Except the relative dangers by the electronic mob. Our officials at the Justice Department and the United Nations either will not or cannot defend the history and reputation of their own homeland. Record natural gas and oil production has been giving the public affordable heating, cooling, and transportation. Self-sufficiency in energy made the United States exempt from worries over Middle Eastern wars and foreign oil embargoes. The more we produced our own natural gas, the cleaner became our air, and the smaller our collective carbon footprint. Yet, 
in just 100 days, energy prices have soared. The Joe Biden administration has canceled the Keystone XL pipeline and limited energy leasing on federal lands, threatening to all but end our gas and oil independence in just a few years. In the drought-stricken West, key irrigation water is still being diverted from farms to the ocean. Billions of dollars in farm aid are doled out on a basis of race. And promised new regulations and estate taxes may well kill off what's left of our family farms. Adam Smith said of successful nations that they have a lot of quote-unquote ruin in them. He meant that a dissolute, leisured, and ahistorical generation has to waste a lot of its generous inherited wealth before it runs out. We are learning how much will soon be left of what our ancestors bequeathed. And the rest of the world is watching, some with glee, others with horror. That from Victor Davis Hanson, and I don't know how you can sum up what we're up against these days better than that. Better than that article. It addresses almost everything we've talked about on this show and, when, and, what, the Demo- and what they're trying to do here in these first two years. In the first two years, it's first hundred days. Well, yes, but I mean, <laughs> the first two years is they know they're going to be pretty much, unless you get a mansion or a cinema, to, to, to break party lines and f- cave under that pressure, which to me, I'm not holding my breath for. They've got two years to, to run rapid. And they're off to a blazing start. Yes, there is they are. nothing that's not on the table. There is nothing that's not under attack. And there's not nothing they're trying to normalize. They're trying to take all the all the things that we know that are just bad ideas, bad policy, you name it, and they're trying to normalize it. Makes no, no, no. This is this is exactly what we need, and trying to convince you, the masses, the people that don't think that way, that no, 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 you're the crazy ones. You're the, you just don't understand it. All right. Whatever you say there, tough guy. Yeah. And, um, it continues today. The march towards just, um, the Democrats version of utopia continues today, which we'll get to, um, in the next couple segments. So. Yeah. But uh, when you say the word utopia, (laughs) people have this idea of what a utopia should look like and everything that the democrats want to do to lead us to their utopia has none of those things none nobody has there's no harmony there's no peace there's no rainbows there's no unicorn there's no wealth for everyone uh everybody is pushed down into the into the gutter and we're all made equal that way that's their utopia while they while they look down upon everybody that's the utopia they talk about yeah all right, well, let's do uh, – we got a couple minutes left here. Let's do a little news. Um, what's going on? What's on the top of your radar here Well, tonight? let's see. Uh, uh, one, one little quick one because I know we're short on time, and I'm not sure if I hit upon this, but we've been talking about the vaccine passports, you know, your papers. Um, Idaho has decided to ban vaccine passports. I'm not sure if I mentioned that when we have talked about this, becoming the third U.S. state to actually do so. Uh, Governor Brad Little issued the executive order banning so-called vaccine passports in his state amid a national row over passports. Idaho has done 
stepped up and and passed this uh, law to ban them. Vaccine passports restrict the free flow of commerce, he says, during the time when life and the economy are returning to normal, he said. And um, he also made sure that, you know, you can, of course, you can still get your, your vaccines. You just don't have to show anything to prove it. Little did uh, 500,000 Idahoans know that once they've gotten vaccinated, they don't have to be uh, walking around with proof of vaccinations, which he says threatens their individual freedom and their patient privacy. Little's order comes on a day after Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued the same ban several, several, uh, I guess, a couple weeks after Florida Governor DeSantis did the same. And all three are Republicans and state legislatures in all three states have Republican majorities. So there you go. That's uh, at another great state, the great state of Idaho. Um, though it's sparsely populated with just under 1.8 million people, they are being spared having to deal with um, a governor who's threatening vaccina- vaccination passports. So yeah. there you go. All right. Those of you who asked for that article, I just put it on our Twitter at LFS6B. How much ruin do we have left? Victor Davis Hansen. It's on our Twitter, twitter.com slash LFS6B. You can find it there. All right. Just getting started. Lots to do. We'll talk about Joe Biden's proposed tax hike. We'll talk about proposed D.C. statehood. And we'll do some sports and more news. Glad you're in on a Thursday. We're back right after this. from Studio 6B, 17 past the hour. I want to remind you to enter our Mother's Day giveaway. You can do that at any of our social media, Twitter or Facebook, pinned at the top. You can enter. There's about 2,000 entries now uh, to our Mother's Day giveaway. We're going to give away a bunch of uh, merch, some T-shirts, pink uh, if you want, or whatever color you want. It'll be up to you. So we'll pick the winners on Mother's Day. We'll get those out. If you want to enter, you can go to any of our social media. There's lots of ways you can enter. Uh, at LFS6B, Facebook, Twitter, uh, the two places mostly where you can go enter and then just follow the directions. It's pretty easy. So, all right, 17 past the hour. Let's do some news with Rick Delgado. What's going on, pal? Uh, well, if you're uh, if you're in the state of Oklahoma, you probably know about this story. If not, let me break it to you. Oklahoma has taken a step to pass a bill providing protections, listen to this, for drivers who hit protesters blocking roads. Um, yeah. One in Florida, too, I believe. <laughs> you heard that correctly. Uh, Oklahoma Republican Governor Kevin Stitt signed a new law to protect motorists who unintentionally hit protesters while trying to escape to safety in a demonstration. He said, we are sending a message today in Oklahoma that rioters who threaten law-abiding citizens' safety will not be tolerated, Stitt said Wednesday upon signing the bill. I remain unequivocally committed to protecting every Oklahoman's First Amendment right to peacefully protest, as well as their right to feel safe in their community. The state Senate last week passed the bill 38-10, to according to... uh, Um, the affiliate out there for ABC. The law also makes it a misdemeanor for blocking a public street during protests. Violators face a maximum of one year in prison and a $5,000 fine. The law stipulates that if drivers fear for their lives, they will not be held for criminally or civilly liable for damages or accidentally accidentally killing a protester with their car as they flee the protest. Um, 
And of course, as you can imagine, well, there was a bit of protesting going on about this bill passing. I don't know if you saw some of the video today, but there was an actual insurrection inside the Capitol building in Oklahoma because they would basically BLM stormed the Capitol building there as they were uh, dealing with uh, passing of this bill. So as you can see, uh, the Democrats are activating their, their fighting force in every single state. Just beware that if you are going to protest now in Oklahoma and you want to you want to riot, you want to block the streets, don't be surprised if you bounce off a bumper or two. Now, I'm sure you guys last night talked about this uh, terrible incident of this, uh, this teenager who was shot by this officer. Oh, Brian, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So have you, did you see the video that came out today from the neighbor's camera across the street? Yeah. I watched that this afternoon. In Pretty interesting. Yep. Now, as, uh, as anyone knows, LeBron James seen that? <laughs> I wonder. Question. I'm sure. I wonder if he's seen that. As I, I watched Don Lemon, let's give credit where credit's due. And Chris Cuomo talk about it last night after they saw it, I guess. And said, well. I mean, the girl in the pink would have been dead. Yeah. In two more seconds, dead. Now, the audio on the new video, you can hear this, the girl with the knife say, I'm going to stab the F out of you, you B-I-T-C-H, while lunging at her with the knife. So in the video from across the street, you see the officer roll up in the car, gets out. It's chaos already. He's by, basically by himself, walks up there. So these two, they start to roll on the ground. And then there's some guy there who tries to kick one of them in the head while she's on the ground. And then, so she, the, the girl she starts tussling with is not the girl she ended up trying to stab. Well, I guess maybe she tried to stab her too. But she goes after this girl in all pink. And I mean, I mean, you can clearly see that she, I mean, she would have been dead. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing video to watch, and it also puts into perspective because I think they, they clocked it as nine seconds. From the time the officer came on the scene, everything erupted, and basically he had to make a decision in, in just under nine seconds as to what he was going to do. And, you know, we, we talked about he's, in a, he's basically in a no-win situation at that point because, let's face it, police are under a lot of pressure these days. Everybody's watching, everybody's videotaping everything they know if i get involved here if i do something and somebody gets hurt i'm gonna get blamed if i don't do anything and somebody gets hurt because i didn't do anything they're gonna get blamed so either way something's got something's got to give and i guess that's you know you can say okay this is where when they talk about police training this is where his training came in he was able to quickly decipher who was under attack who was about to be killed in that, when you watch the video, it's kind of a melee look to it, right? On the sidewalk there, a lot of stuff going on. The gentleman about to kick another woman, um, and then all of a sudden he's able to see that this girl's got a knife, and she's rearing it back. Yeah, rearing it, it back. It, 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 Split-second decision. And you know what? What they should be talking about is the fact that he saved that girl's life. He absolutely did. He saved that girl's life. And I know that the Valerie Jarrett's out there and the LeBron James out there and all of these really reprehensible people. I mean, do you ever remember LeBron James ever saying a word about David Dorn? Ever saying a word about some of these other situations? I mean, he's out there tweeting today um, about this 
about a, I guess, some kind of a GoFundMe page for the girl who got shot. Which I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. This this guy, he's, you know what? And and this is something I repeated last night a few times. Uh, just because you can say something doesn't mean you should. And there's a lot of times where he should just say, you know what? Now his original tweet, he took down, right? Yeah. Yeah. He removed it after he a couple you're, hours. You're next. Yep. With yeah. a picture of the guy, right? And you're an hourglass. Next. Yeah. Yep. An hourglass, you're next. Yeah, and a picture of the guy. And then he pulled it down. Right. Oh, but yeah, because he saw the video. Sure. Either that, I, 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 you know what? Even if he saw the video, he probably wouldn't have taken it down. I think he got um, lawyers, his lawyers saying, hey, you better take that down. You could be opening yourself up to a lawsuit if something happens to this gentleman, to this officer. Incredible. Yeah. Um, all right. What else is going on in the news? Well, uh, your favorite first son and mine, Hunter Biden. Well, turns out his business ambitions in China included building SeaWorld parks. Uh, as a memo shows, Hunter Biden's effort to score big money in China. That sounds like a movie title. Uh, while his father was vice president, was far reaching, including proposals to build a SeaWorld theme park in the communist country and to get Beijing to invest in an NBA arena somewhere here in the United States. Uh, that was obtained through just the news through emails and memos. The deals also involve a Chinese state-owned bank, former Obama ambassador China, to China, Gary Locke, and one of the then vice president's closest aides, his former body man, Francis Fran Person, the memos show. On July 17th, 2015, for instance, Hunter emailed his business partner, Jim Bolger, and Devin Archer, who's now in jail, uh, asking them to reach out to a person about a very real China deal he's working on. In a separate email to Archer, Biden vouched for person, the, the gentleman named person, as my, my dad's body guy for eight years, whatever that means. Person had left the vice president's staff about a year earlier and would later run unsuccessfully for Congress. The deal was a joint venture to build SeaWorld in China with land acquisitions, construction, development, and all financed by the Chinese Communist Party-owned bank. Uh, the China Development Bank is run by the CCP officials and is described as the engine that powers Beijing's economic development policies. So just when you're speaking, getting back to this incident, just when you think you've heard it all, no, 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 not, not on MSNBC tonight. Joy Reid had a guest on today that blamed the Columbus police officer, and she says that the Co Columbus police officer somehow triggered Michaela Bryant into wanting to stab one of the other girls on the scene. What? And then she added that Bryant didn't deserve to die because she was having an off day mm. and not behaving, quote unquote, perfectly. Okay. So that's an, that's an interesting take on that video that, that's out there. We, As, what's amazing is we have the video and it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter to these people. It doesn't matter that you have it, that you can watch it. All right, live from Studio 6B, more news. A couple good crazy towns coming up. I think you'll like those when we get back.
30 minutes past the hour, live from Studio 6B on Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240. Rick Delgado's here with the news. Rick Emirati's going to have some more sports. So um, I'm watching the markets today, prepping <laughs> for the show. You're watching them right now. <laughs> watching the, uh, no, the stock market, this was. Oh, okay. I'm always watching the crypto markets, but I'm watching the stock market. And I don't know, it was about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 1.30 or so. Everything starts to turn drastically red. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm doing things, paying half attention. I'm thinking, what's going on all of a sudden? Well, this is what's going on. From Bloomberg, this is what hit the wire. At uh, what time was this? This probably says it here. 1.06 p.m. President Biden eyeing tax rate as high as 43.4% in next economic package. Total tax rates for New Yorkers and Californians will top 50%. What? President Joe Biden will propose almost a doubling of the capital gains tax rate for wealthy individuals to 40% to help pay for a raft of social spending that addresses longstanding inequality, according to people familiar with the proposal. For those earning $1 million or more, the new top rate coupled with an existing surtax on investment income means that federal tax rates for wealthy investors could be as high as 43.4%. The new marginal 39.6% rate would be an increase from the current base rate of 20%. The people said on the condition of anonymity because the plan yet is not made public. A 3.8% tax on investment income that funds Obamacare would be kept in place, pushing the tax rate on returns on financial assets higher than rates on some wage and salary income. Stocks slid um, in more, more than they have in a month on this news, with the S&P 500 index down almost 1% at the close. Ten-year Treasury yields fell to 1.54% uh, from an intraday high of 1.59%. The proposal could reverse a longstanding provision of the tax code that tax returns on investment lower than on labor. Biden campaigned on equalizing the capital gains and income tax rates for wealthy individuals, saying it's unfair that many of them pay lower rates than middle-class workers. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki asked about the capital gains plan at the press briefing Thursday, said we're still finalizing what what the pay-fors look like. Biden is expected to release the proposal next week as part of the tax increases to fund social spending in the forthcoming American Families Plan. Jen Psaki was asked about this. Uh, G, roll it. I want to go back to taxes for a moment because the Dow is down about 350 points on reports that uh, the Biden administration is going to propose doubling, essentially, the capital gains rate uh, for high-income Americans. Uh, Can you tell us any more about that plan? And do you have any concerns that that would discourage 
long-term investing. <laughs> well, we're you still think? finalizing what the pay force look like. Um, but I will say that the president's calculation is that uh, there's a need to modernize our infrastructure. There's a need to invest in uh, child care. There's a need to invest in early childhood education and making the, our kids and the workers of the next generation more competitive. And he should propose a way to pay for it. Uh, his view is that that should be on the backs, that can be on the backs of the wealthiest Americans who can afford it and uh, corporations and businesses who can afford it. Uh, and his view and the view of our economic team is that uh, that won't have a negative impact. There are alternative <laughs> views or there are proposals that don't exist yet on how to pay for it. That will be a part of the discussion. But he stays firm to his commitment to not raise taxes on Americans making uh, under $400,000 a year. And he'll have a range of proposals on how to pay for his plans to invest in education and child care. Um, back to Bloomberg. Other measures that the administration has discussed in recent weeks include enhancing the estate tax for the wealthy. Biden has warned that those earning over 400000 can expect to pay more in taxes. Well, we know that's not it's going to it's not going to be just people over 400000 No, we, we, we know that it's an actual lie. It, it's actually Two hundred thousand. They're they're just lumping people, to, married couples together, and calling it four hundred thousand. They're playing word games. It's a, it's a complete and utter lie, and uh, it's going to affect everybody. I haven't looked into this, Rick, but apparently that uh, Jen Psaki was asked that exact question, and she said it is just individuals. I don't know if there's anything to back that up out there, I've, but she I've, was asked about that. I've read it. The White House has already rolled out plans for corporate tax hikes, which go to fund the $2.25 trillion infrastructure-focused American Jobs Plan. Republicans have insisted on retaining the 2017 tax cuts implemented by former President Donald Trump and argue that the current capital gains framework encourages saving and promotes future economic growth. It's going to cut down on investment and cause unemployment, Chuck Grassley of Iowa said today. Um, he lauded the result of the 2017 tax cuts and said, if it ain't broke, why are we trying to fix it? GOP lawmakers on Thursday called for repurposing previously appropriated unused pandemic relief funds to help pay for their counteroffer in infrastructure plan. The group underlined opposition to tax hikes other than a potential revamp of the levies that go towards highway funding in a way that would cover electric vehicles. Biden will detail... The American Families Plan in a joint address addressed to Congress on April 28th. It is set to include a wave of new spending on children and education. See, here's the thing you have to ask yourself. Even if you thought, even if you thought somehow that this was a good idea to double the, do you think that that's going to cause them to spend less because they tax you more? You think the spending in government's going to go down if they double the the um, capital gains tax? You think if they come up with a driving tax? Do you think if they come up with this tax and that tax and every other damn tax they can think of? Do you think that's going to slow down the spending? You think they're going to say, "Well, we're we're, we're taxing. Uh, let's cut down the spending here." Yeah, just answer that question because I'll tell you right now the answer is no. They could never tax and spend enough and this is just another form of an attack it's an attack on capitalism it's an attack on freedom because you can't have one without the other it's an attack on you it's an attack on upward mobility it's an attack on everybody in small business who powers this uh economy of this country 
And as I've told you multiple times, if you took every dollar from every billionaire in the United States, you couldn't run the government for even eight months. We do not have a ta- We have a spending problem in this country. Whether it's deficit spending, to spending overall, $30 trillion in fiscal operating debt we approach. And at a time, think about this, at a time that we're trying to come out of this pandemic, businesses have been mostly destroyed. Those of who have survived are still trying to get on their feet. Restaurants are still trying to find help because people make more staying home than they do going to work. So restaurants can't even find help. And commodity prices are through the roof. Your energy prices are starting to go through the roof. Let me give you a couple things here to think about. Lumber is 265% higher. Oh, wow. Crude, 210% higher. You're seeing that at the pump now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gasoline, 182% higher. Brent crude, 163% higher. Heating oil, 107% higher. Corn, 84% higher. Copper, 83% higher. Soybeans, 72% higher. Silver, 65% higher. Sugar, 59% higher. Cotton, 54% higher. Platinum, 52. Natural gas, 43. Wheat, 19. Coffee, 13. Gold, 3. Palladium, 32. All these things higher. And I know, I know the, uh, the Fed will continue to tell us, well, inflation's going to run. You know, we want it to run two, two and a half percent. If you, it, ladies and gentlemen, if you think the consumer product index is a, is a gauge of what inflation is really going to be or really is to you in your real pocketbook, in real life, it is not. Real inflation is nowhere near percent it's going to get worse how can it not get worse with all this spending i mean the fed talks about inflation i watched them the other day in this horrendously horrible interview he did the guy asking questions should never be allowed to interview anyone ever again but still the questions that he did ask that were reasonable he talked about inflation like oh it's, uh, yeah it's whatever it'll run two percent and then uh We'll think about raising rates in, you know, in 2023 or like, it's no big deal. Like this is like, this is uh, sustainable. Like this deficit and debts like this is sustainable. No big deal. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, getting back to the Jen Psaki thing between the 400 and 200, I found the article uh, from March 17th in the New York Post. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on Wednesday clarified President Biden's proposed tax hike would apply to people who earn 200000 per year if they're married to someone who makes the same amount. Saki said at her daily press briefing that the proposed 400000 threshold applies to families rather than individuals. The clarification significantly lowers the tax hike threshold announced by Biden during his interview that happened on ABC, where he says, yes, anybody making more than 400000 will see a small to a significant tax increase. He said that to George Stephanopoulos. Only in Joe Biden's world can getting rid of tax cuts by the former president not institute a tax increase. Oh, no, it's not an increase. We're just taking away the ones he gave. (laughs) 
I mean, it's just insane. Everybody's going to feel it. Yeah. And, and you know, you know what the, the actually the funny part is, you know, who won't feel it is uh, Joe Biden's friends. His rich liberal friends won't feel it. You know why? Because they're going to find tax havens outside the United States to put their money because that's what they do. That's what they do. So don't fool yourself. These, this is going to be felt by middle America, middle class America, not, not, not Warren Buffett, not Bill Gates, not Joe Biden's friends that he's hanging out with. It's not going to be felt by them because they're going to go to the Cayman Islands or they're going to go somewhere and find some tax haven because that's what they're going to do. Or they're going to move their business offshores and they'll do business in the United States, but they just won't headquarter here. So don't, don't get any idea that this is going to be, uh, these mega tax hikes are going to be only for the rich who they think they're going to attack. It's not. Ordinary Americans will feel it more than they will. Yeah. You're already feeling it at the gas pump. That's the dirty little secret of their lies. They're, they're just so clueless about how it works. All right, live from Studio 6B, we'll do some sports. We'll talk about D.C. statehood in hour two as well. Crazy town, lots to do. Glad you're in on a Thursday night. We're back right after this. to the hour live from studio 6b on a thursday night glad you're in more news couple crazy towns stuff good stuff coming up in hour two but right now it's time to do sports find them on twitter at slick rick sports rick emirati what's going on pal Hey, big day. Well, we got Major League Baseball. The big story right now, Oakland A's, 11 wins in a row. Hottest thing going in April is those Oakland A's out in California. So we'll keep an eye. They're not in action tonight, but wanted to make that statement. Uh, MLB Finals, Reds fe- uh, fell to the Diamondbacks today, 14-11, real pitches duel. And also the Pirates over the Tigers, 4-2. Seventh inning, Yankees lead the Cleveland Indians, 5-3. Red Sox over the Mariners, 1-0 in the fourth. Third inning, Cubs over the Mets, 1-0. And just underway, Angels and Astros tied nothing, nothing. And NHL action, second period. All these games are in the second. Hurricanes, 3-1 over the Panthers. Penguins, 4-1 over the Devils. Bruins, 2-1 over the Sabres. Flyers, Rangers tied at 1 in the Garden. Maple Leafs, 4-3 over the Jets. Islanders and Capitals tied nothing, nothing in the Coliseum. No scoring going on there. Uh, and in the first, Blues and Jackets, uh, Blue Jackets and Lightning won one. Uh, Red Wings three to one in the second as well. And then the Avalanche and Blues also tied at one. Senators and Canucks. That's a ten o'clock puck drop out west. NBA action scores: Pelicans one hundred eight to sixty eight over the Magic. That's in what? the third. Yep. Pelicans hot. up by 40. They're up by 40. It's in incredible. the third. 
in the third. Oh. Unbelievable. Wow. And the mat right now, the Suns trail the uh, South, uh, the Suns uh, Celt- trail the Celtics 77-65 in the third. 76s trail the Bucks 99-75. A lot of blowouts going on. Yeah. Spurs and Pistons just tipped. That's in the first. Five to four is the score. Round one, PGA. This is the CBS Tour leaderboard of the Zurich Classic New Orleans. Down in the TPC, Louisiana course, Avondale, Louisiana. Four-way tie. Christopher uh, Ventura, Victor Hovland, Bryce Garnett, and Scott Stallings all shot a 10 under 62. So we have a four-way tie. So we'll see if my theory holds up because <laughs> all four guys are in the lead. Yeah, and, no doubt. Uh, one of be- our good followers did check me, Rick. They said that Cameron Smith actually led day one last Thursday. However, Sink ended up pulling it out and winning for the weekend. So my streak is intact, but I don't know. These four guys, they got a good shot. Somebody's going to be in first. Yeah, come you, got, you got four chances. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and the uh, we're going to go to the rodeo, everybody's favorite segment on LFS6B for sports. Uh, Angelina Benefit Rodeo. This is in Lufkin, Texas. This is the George Henderson Expo Center. Round one, bareback. Taylor Broussard riding on Suncatcher had an 87. Saddlebronk Zeke Thurston on Starburst scored an 8. Starburst. I said Starburst. Oh, yeah. Starburst scored an 88. Good old Zeke. Bull riding. Colton Fritzland riding on Dream On. Also had an 88, Rick. Steer wrestling. Round two. Trevor Nelson. 3.7 seconds. Team roping, round one and round two leaders, Lightning Aguilera and Shea Dixon Carroll. That Lightning Aguilera, he's pretty good. I've seen his name up there a few times. (laughs) 3.7 seconds and 4.0 respectively. Tie down, Marty Yates in 8.6 seconds. And Bow Racing went to Emily Miller Bassell, uh, rounded it out in a 15.32 second. Good showing for that first round. So we'll keep an eye on that as it goes through the weekend. Right. Yahoo Sports report, ex-Virginia Tech soccer player claims in lawsuit that coach berated her for refusing to kneel before a game. This is from Nick Bromberg of Yahoo Sports. Former Virginia Tech soccer player Kirsten Henning has filed a lawsuit against the team's coach because she claims she was berated and benched by her coach for refusing to take a a knee before a game. Henning claims in the 11-page lawsuit against Virginia Tech and coach Charles Adair that Adair was upset at her for not kneeling before a game against Virginia on September 12th. Way back on September 12th. Henning did not play in the team's next game five days later and then quit the team eight days after the Virginia game. The suit was filed in federal court on March 3rd. Virginia Tech has said it will not obviously comment on it. A walk-on and significant player for the team. Henning said that she was one of two players who didn't kneel before the Virginia game as the Atlantic Coast Conference's unity statement was read over the public address speaker. In the suit, Henning says she, quote, supports social justice and believes that Black Lives Matter. She does not support the BLM organization. She disagrees with its tactics and core tenets of its mission statement, including defending the police and eliminating the nuclear family. She claims in the suit that she expressed her views against the Black Lives Matter organization and other social justice measures that teams wanted uh, uh, wanted to do in private messages to other teammates. Those messages, Henning claims, were ultimately shared with Adair. Henning says that Adair singled her out at halftime of the game and told her she was 
being and moaning, and she claims that Adair continued to berate her at practice the following week and believed that it was a continuation of the politically motivated retaliation that started at halftime. So the suit obviously asks for Henning's reinstatement to the team because Adair violated her First Amendment rights to not participate in the team's demonstration because his actions effectively forced her off the team. It also asks that Adair Adair take her First Amendment training and uh, that the coach take no adverse action against so, hey, young lady, you got to say, standing up for her rights. It was a long story, but I felt it was important to write it out. We'll see how this plays out because, it, hey, it affects people's First Amendments in yeah. college at the NCAA level. So crazy. And someplace it shouldn't be showing its, it's showing its ugly face. Absolutely, Rick. Uh, and just one more, Aaron Rodgers helps launch athlete version of IMBD, uh, originally posted on Larry Brown Sports. This is from Steve Del Vecchio. There are plenty of websites available where you can get every stat imaginable for a professional athlete, but Aaron Rodgers has helped launch an outlet that he hopes can take that a step or two further. Rodgers partnered with actor and producer Ryan Rotman to form the online sports database, OSDB, which officially launched this week. The site not only lists stats and contract information, it also provides users with information about an athlete's endorsement deals, business ventures, charity work, and more. Rotman told ESPN's Rob Domofsky this week that the goal for OSDB is to build stronger fan allegiances and provide opportunities for athletes to connect with its potential business partners. Uh, to me, uh, the more you know about an athlete, the bigger fan you become. And that's essentially for the fan uh, side that we are trying to do this, Rotman said. Not only the fan side, but we want to be able to help generate additional exposure for these guys. We're not building this for 1%. We're building it for the 99% who don't get the eyeballs or people don't know how to get a hold of them for deals where we can endorse, say, the local car dealership in Green Bay. So, you know, Aaron Rodgers really getting out there and they're attributing a lot of it to his new relationship with uh, Shailene Woodley. And uh, he wants to be more transparent as an athlete and also wants to help other guys get their names out there. So, hey, Aaron Rodgers is a good guy. We like him on this show and he's doing good things for sports. And that's a wrap. Okay, very good. Thanks, Rick. Um I'll tell you one thing more athletes are going to be doing is they're going to be taking their paychecks uh, like Russell Okung did from the Seattle Seahawks. They're going to be taking their payments in Bitcoin. And when you, when you start seeing um, Biden proposing these kind of things, I mean, there's already enough reasons not to love holding fiat dollars as they continue to print and spend and print and spend and print and spend and spend and spend and print and print and print. (laughs) We've printed more M2. The money, the M2 money supply has exploded in the last year and a half. And it's going to explode even worse this year. Meaning all of the dollars in circulation, we've printed more of them in the last 16 months than the entire history of the country. And what happens when you make more of something? It becomes worth less. So you start, the dollar's already being debased and devalued. The DXY continues to hang barely on to support right now every day. And now you're going you're gonna to raise these taxes, every damn tax you can find on people? I mean, it's just, I mean, they're not, they're not just, you know. That's why people look at Bitcoin and they say it's, 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 it represents freedom. Not only financial freedom, but personal sovereignty, freedom from from all of this nonsense, from government, from government intrusion in your life, from everything. It solves all of that. That's why uh, there's going to be a big fight coming up with regulation on what this what this administration is going to try to put in place. 
when I say good luck with that. Hour two live from Studio Six B. Glad you're in on a Thursday night. Rick Delgado is going to have some more news. Rick Emirati is going to have sports. Do a couple crazy. Well, let's do a crazy town off the top here, G. We'll do mine. Mine's shorter. Joe Biden was out speaking today about uh, vaccines, and well, <laughs> this is what happened. Roll it. <laughs> Patty Young owns a hair salon in Springfield, Ohio. She's also dedicated to getting her customers and employers vaccin- employees vaccinated that when they leave the saloon, <laughs> receptionist, the saloon, the salon. <laughs> they may be going to a saloon, I don't know. When tomorrow's vaccine and vaccination numbers come out, we'll show that today, we did it. Today, we hit 200 million shots and huh? the 92nd day in office. So today, I'm announcing a program to address that issue nationwide. I'm calling on every employer, large and small, in every state to give employees the time off they need with pay to get vaccinated. And any time they need with pay to recover if they're feeling under the weather after the shot. No working American should lose a single dollar from their paycheck because they chose to fulfill their patriotic duty of getting vaccinated. So again, every employee should get paid leave to get a shot. And businesses should know that they can provide it without a hit to their bottom line. There's no excuse for not getting it done. But if we let up now and stop being vigilant, This virus will erase the progress we've already achieved. The sacrifices we've made, the lives that have been put on hold, the loved ones who've been taken from us. To celebrate our independence from this virus on July 4th, with family and friends in small groups. (laughs) Oh, Oh, listen. Rick, next time you go get your hair done, when you leave the saloon, make sure that you're... Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I should have done that today. Yeah. I went and got a haircut today. Yeah, had dude. I known at the saloon, <laughs> after I had a, you know, a little bit of sarsaparilla, yeah. uh, I could have gotten a shot. Just rough, man. Just so rough. And he's just sitting there. And you know he's struggling just to try to make out the words. And he's, he's doing this. It's like, oh, the words are moving. How do they oh, do that? Just rough. All right, so the other big news of the day is that uh, along party lines, 
the House passed, um, the Democrats think they have some work around here um, to the uh, good old Constitution, which they never want, the, you never hear brought up in all of these debates about D.C. statehood. Now, we've been talking about this on this show, that this is going to be something that they're going after for sure because they want two more senators. They don't give a damn about the people or the right, the, who they're voting. If they all they cared was about people in voting, then, then all of the neighborhood parts of D.C. could just be deemed back to Maryland or something. Something can be figured out. This is about two more senators. This is about entrenching power forever for the Democratic Party. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all this is about. Now, I'm going to read you something here that's not even from a right. This is from a left-leaning take uh, by Jarrett Stepman, and it's entitled, Why D.C. Statehood Would Be a Tragic Mistake. Transforming the federal district into a state would come with far more drawbacks than positives for the country should washington dc become a state well district of columbia mayor mario bowser has argued that transforming it into a state is a civil rights issue for a city that is uh, has a plurality of black citizens however transforming the federal district into a state would come with far more drawbacks than positives for the country if it was to become a state dc would be the third smallest it would send two people to the Senate, of course, and that's what the Democrats are interested in. And this is where much of the contention comes from. The city is almost entirely Democrat, and statehood essentially amounts to adding two more Democratic senators. Unsurprisingly, the issue has only partisan Democrat support in Congress. The potential for D.C. statehood making its way through Congress, though, would certainly increase if the filibuster were eliminated and the threshold to pass legislation in the Senate dropped to a simple majority. But it would require more than that. It would require a constitutional amendment, which seems to be forgotten in this whole discussion. And the Democrats don't, of course, they'd look at the Constitution and just see something that just stands in their way. So they don't even, they don't even talk, they talk like it doesn't exist. Oh, we'll pass it, let's pass it. It needs a constitutional amendment. It's not just Congress, uh, House, and Senate. Um, The potential for D.C. statehood making its way through the Congress would certainly increase the filibuster was eliminated. Democrats would get a short-term payoff from this move, but it would likely trigger a ripple effect. As soon as Republicans regain majorities, it's easy to see them subdividing red states to increase power for their side. Do we really want to launch that raw political arms race, given the history of the sectional divide in early American history where adding new states brought on a series of crises and compromises, ultimately leading to a civil war. Injecting this pure power struggle into an already polarized political environment seems unwise. On top of the political obstacles to D.C. statehood, there are other constitutional and functionality concerns with transforming the seat of our federal government into a state, of course, it was carved out as this enclave because just that. It is where, it is the head of the governments where everything happens. Uh, proponents of D.C. statehood argue 
that is fundamentally unfair and outright disenfranchisement for residents to pay federal taxes while not having representation in Congress. To hear the Democrats argue taxation without representation is pretty uh, rich, if you ask me, but that's just me. The district can only send a non-voting delegate to Congress, hence taxation without representation has become the motto stamped on Washington license plates. But is Washington really held back financially by not being a state? The city hardly lacks in wealth and power. A good portion of America's wealthiest counties are clustered around the federal district. Its median household income is higher than any state, according to the latest census data. And while not everyone benefits from this wealth directly, the city still doesn't hurt for money flowing to its public services. For instance, per pupil, spending on K-12 through students is consistently about double the national average and is again higher than any state. Being close to the center of national political power certainly has its advantages. It's also not clear in what way transforming the District of Columbia, which is already allowed to govern itself under the Home Rule Act of 1973, would significantly change the way in which the city currently operates. But there's a bigger concern here. Beyond the functionality of the city, the framers of the Constitution intentionally set aside a special district to allow the federal government to operate independently. Federalist 43, James Madison, lays out the case. The indispensable necessity of complete authority at the seat of government carries its own evidence with it. It is a power exercised by every legislature of the Union, I might say of the world, by virtue of its general supremacy. Without it, not only the public authority might be insulted and its proceedings be interrupted with impunity, but a dependence of the members of the general government on the state comprehending the seat of the government for protection in the exercise of their duty might bring on the national councils an imputation of awe or influence equally dishonorable to the government and dissatisfactory to the other members of the Confederacy. Madison and the framers worried that locating the nation's capital within the jurisdiction of a state would potentially leave it at the mercy of that state. The issue came up in 1783 when a mutiny by soldiers in the Continental Army threatened the capital, then located in Philadelphia. The state governor refused to give aid and the Congress of the Confederation had to flee the state. It's hardly difficult to imagine situations even today where a state may become hostile to particular federal officials or to the federal government in general and make life extremely difficult for them. By giving Congress the final say in operating the federal city as the Constitution does in Article 1, Section 8, this potential conflict is avoided. The fact that this is included in the Constitution also makes it somewhat dubious that Congress can simply turn the district into a state without a constitutional amendment. The Justice Department has repeatedly made this case, the exception being the Justice Department led by Attorney General Eric Holder under President Barack Obama, who overruled his own Office of Legal Counsel on this exact issue. What a shocker. Uh, with these complications, with these complications, there are nevertheless a few compromise solutions for the D.C. statehood issue. One would be a partial uh, ret retrocession of a chunk of the district back to Maryland. 
This happened before in 1846 when a large part of the city was essentially given back to Virginia, hence losing its nice square shape. This, too, may come with legal challenges, but it would at least have precedent. Another interesting proposal offered by Dan McLaughlin in National Review would be to create a larger state out of the parts of the district and nearby northern northern Virginia cities while preserving a smaller core federal district. For D.C. residents, adding Alexandria, Arlington, and Fairfax would give the new state real heft. It would bring the population over 2 million people, larger than 15 current states, and give it multiple House seats and electoral votes, McLaughlin wrote. Alexandria, Arlington, and Fairfax residents would be governed closer to home and brought within a political community with which they ought to have more in common with than the populations of southern and western Virginia. Not only would this increase the size of the new state, but it would also be more politically palatable palatable to Republicans. The remaining portion of the Commonwealth of Virginia would be much more competitive and would likely lean Republican. A new state would be added without fundamentally changing the partisan balance of national politics, and it would fulfill the stated desire of D.C. statehood proponents of giving most residents of the city a more direct voice in the federal government. One way or another, D.C. statehood seems unlikely. Its support is entirely partisan and comes with a series of practical and constitutional challenges. Its benefits would be negligible and its consequences potentially serious and very destructive. And I think that's about right on the money. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's great that you point out one thing that everybody seems to forget about. Oh, that's right. It's in the Constitution. It, it, it can't become a state. They'd have to make an amendment. Well, that doesn't stop them most times. <laughs> More news, sports coming up. All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B. So Jen Psaki was asked about D.C. statehood. Cut 31G. Uh, roll it. The House today passed um, a bill to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. It obviously faces some tough odds in the Senate. What's the White House's uh, take on that? And, and to what extent is President Biden involved in that going forward? Well, uh, President Biden strongly supports D.C. statehood, and he and, his, and we will all, our administration, will work with Congress uh, to get it passed. Uh, we put out a statement of administration policy in strong support of H.R. 51 just this morning. Uh, his view is that uh, we are uh, the denial of voting representation in Congress and local self-government to the 712,000 residents of our nation's capital violates two of our nation's founding principles, no taxation without representation and consent of the governed. Um, and he will continue to advocate uh, for this passing. 
I will also note an interesting detail I didn't know until this morning is that uh, there are a number of members, of course, of the, of the armed forces, uh, retired military, who of course live in the District of Columbia and are denied uh, as a result of having uh, the lack of statehood, um, the, the rights that many others around the country have. Uh, so there are a number of issues why this is absolutely the right step, and the president will continue to add. Oh, yes, this is the right step. Congress <laughs> is just going to legislate it into existence, don't you know? No, we don't know. We don't think they're going to do that. So, And that's, that's a pretty lame question. Not like, how do you think you're going to do this? <laughs> oh, they uh, passed. Oh, what a good, good job, everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's just... How are you going to get 60 in the Senate? Pathetic. Um, all right, let's do, uh, let's do some more news with Rick Delgado. What's going on, pal? All right. Well, if you're hoping that your kids are, are good with math and numbers, don't move to Virginia. Because according to this headline from Fox News, Virginia is moving to eliminate all accelerated math courses before the 11th grade as part of an equity-focused plan. I feel like this is dumbing down America. Yes, Virginia is jumping in. The Virginia Department of Education is moving to eliminate all accelerated math options prior to 11th grade, effectively keeping higher-achieving students from advancing as they normally would in the school system. Loudoun County School Board member Ian Sir Sirotkin posted about the changes via Facebook on Tuesday. According to Sirotkin, he learned of the change the night prior during a briefing from staff at the Virginia Mathematics Pathway Initiative. Um, currently planned, this initiative will eliminate all math acceleration prior to the 11th grade. He said, this is not an exaggeration, nor does it appear to be any discretion on how local districts implement this. All sixth graders will take foundational concepts, seventh graders, foundational concepts, seven, uh, blah, 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 and the regular the regular math courses. His post included a chart in what appeared to be set uh, with math courses from 2022 to 2030. Uh, A VDOE, that's Virginia Department of Education spokesperson, Charles Pyle, indicated that the courses would allow at least some variation depending on the school uh, student's skill levels. On their website as well, the state features an infographic that indicates that VMPI would require concept courses for each level. During a webinar in December, a member of the Essential Concepts Committee claimed that the new framework would exclude traditional classes like Algebra 1 and Geometry. Uh, Committee members then who focus on grades 8 through 10 said, let me be totally clear, we're talking about taking Algebra 1, Geometry, and Algebra Algebra 2, those three courses that we We've known and loved and removing them from our high school math program and replacing them with essential concepts through the, the grades eight, nine and ten. So more about dumbing down of America. And let's face it, uh, I think this might have something to do with the thinking that, well, math is racist. If you if you're trying to get the right ideas and the right answers to things. Yeah. Amazing, amazing stuff. If you're down in North Carolina, well, you should be celebrating North Carolina's first black lieutenant governor. His name, Mark Robinson. And he is, uh, well, he's doing his best to trigger uh, the Democrats. North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, the first African-American to hold that position in the state, tore into Democrats during his opening statement, calling it preposterous and insulting to suggest black Americans weren't capable of understanding how about uh, how to go about obtaining a valid form of ID in order to cast their votes. He said, 
the sacrifices of our ancestors so I could have the opportunity to become the first black lieutenant governor in my state to see a black man sit at the White House and for millions of us to be leaders in business, athletics, and culture is incredible. Now today, we hear comparisons of Georgia law being compared to Jim Crow, that black voices are being silenced, and that black voices are being kept out. How? By fear of nooses or chains, to be fired from work, to be ostracized by their communities? No, a free ID to vote. Let me say that again, a free ID to vote. How absolutely preposterous, he said. Am I to believe that black Americans who have overcome these atrocities, such as slavery, who are viciously, who are victorious in their, in their civil rights movement, and who now sit at the highest levels of government, cannot figure out how to get a free ID to vote? That what we need to be... Uh, that we need to be coddled by politicians because they don't think we can figure out how to make our voices heard. Are you kidding me? This notion that black people must be protected from a free ID to vote is just insane and insulting. So he said very similar things, by the way, on John Solomon's election special that he was on. And that's exactly what he told Mr. Solomon on that. He's fantastic. Every time I hear him speak, I like him more and more. Yeah. He also, he also correctly pointed out how contrary to the claims of Democratic leaders, Democrats aren't really committed to respecting all black vo- voices. He cited recent examples involving Vice President uh, Kamala Harris and things that she said uh, when she was down in North Carolina. So he, he's on the attack and good for him. We, we need more people, especially Republicans that don't have weak knees or, or, or uh, you know. Well, there's not many of those. Weak spines. By the way, has she gone to the border yet? No, I guess not, huh? Nope, not yet. Who's in charge? Oh, no, she is. Yeah. Okay, yeah, just just curious. All right, you want you want something else to uh to get your gander up? Sure, of course you do. Uh union workers are buying new cars, uh remodeling their homes after the Biden pension bailout. Yep, labor leaders said they are amazed at how much money union workers are spending on new cars, remodeling after the $86 billion bailout for the failing union-managed multi-employer pension funds. The bailout funds for the pension were part of the $1.9 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill Biden signed on March 11th. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, leaders in the labor movement, and some Ohio Democratic leaders held a virtual event to celebrate the bill's support for the struggling pensions. Mike Walden, a former member of the Teamsters who'd long been advocating for taxpayer assistance for the union pensions, uh, joined in. And according to the Roll Call article, Walden's current organization is a Teamsters-created group whose members in their black T-shirts with yellow lettering frequent the halls of House and Senate office buildings. Um, Walden said we were better off when the mob was running things. Uh, he was referring to the Teamsters history involving past president, uh, Jimmy Hoffa and his connections to the mob. According to the New York times, Hoffa and six members were accused of fraudulently arranging $25 million in loans to Teamsters back in 1964 for the pension fund on Thursday. Yesterday, Walden applauded Biden and the Democratic-led Congress for passing the rescue funding for the struggling union pensions. Walden said union members were making new purchases as soon as they heard that their pensions were saved. So there you go. The American people, you're paying for people to upgrade their houses, get new cars, you name it, go on vacations. It's a wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, this D.C. statehood thing, Brian Preston has a thing in PJ Media today. 
uh, basically pointing out now the Democrats are going to use this um, as the mayor of Washington, D.C. says it's a civil rights issue. Well, you're already starting to see people come out and run with that line of thinking here. Uh, He says, first of all, this bill's blatantly unconstitutional, stands very little, if any, chance of passing the Senate. Democrats want a 51st state, sure enough, for the power it grants them forever. But they also want its failure to become yet another means of racially dividing the country. And I'll get into that when we get back. from studio 6b 30 minutes past the hour so this from pj media brian preston says as the democrats prove themselves incapable of the former um again remember uh, he said that uh, the 51st state surely would give them the power grant them forever but they also want it uh, it want its failure to become yet another means of radically dividing and racially dividing the country. It's more performance art in lieu of governance. As the Democrats prove themselves incapable of the former at every level, from the border to New York and everywhere across the continent, the performance art takes center stage. It's all that bankrupt extremist party has. The very appropriately named extremist Robert Reich, he's the little man who used to work in the Clinton administration, leads the racist charge. And he tweeted out, D.C. is 46% black and has zero senators. Wyoming is 1% black and has two senators. D.C. has 120,000 more people than Wyoming. Opposition to D.C. statehood is racist period that from robert reich uh back to mr preston's article he says reich has has to have his reich (laughs) like the third reich no matter how he gets it the district of columbia was never intended to have senators because it is supposed to be it isn't supposed to be a state that's in the constitution which reich surely knows but fails to inform his followers H.R. 51 is a stealthy piece of work. Here's the text from the very top of the bill. This bill admits certain portions of Washington, D.C. as the 51st state. The bill defines state as the state of Washington, Douglas Commonwealth. In addition to creating a 51st state precisely where the Constitution says there can't be one, It changes the name from Washington District of Columbia to State of Washington, Douglas Commonwealth. See uh, what they did there? The Democratic Party voted to cancel the reference to Christopher Columbus in the name of the new state it's trying to create, where the Constitution says they can't create one. For some reason, the Democrats aren't um, crowing about canceling Columbus. They probably hoped it would go unnoticed. 
Douglas is a reference to 19th century anti-slave champion Frederick Douglas. The escaped slave and black Republican certainly deserves great honor. He brought courage and Christian moral fire to the abolitionist cause, the cause on which the Republican Party was founded. Democrats might cancel him once they learned what he said about the Constitution and the American founders uh, they denounce as racist. The Democrats will get around to canceling Washington, too, when they think of it, or whether they think they can slip it past Americans. And one last thing on this, and then we'll do some more news. I just want to remind you that in, I believe, 1993, Uh, The Heritage Foundation published an article, D.C. Statehood, Not Without a Constitutional Amendment. The fundamental barriers facing the current proposal to make the district a state by legislation arise out of the federal constitution. There are three problems. Article 1, Section 8, Permanent Congressional Power. Article 4, Section 3, Maryland's permission and the 23rd amendment which they say is most difficult constitutional problem facing the district uh its very own constitutional amendment the 23rd amendment passed in 1961 states that the district constituting the seat of government of the United States shall appoint in such a manner as the congress may direct a number of electors of president and vice president equal to the whole number of senators and representatives in Congress to which the district would be entitled if it were a state, but in no event more than the least populous state. So that's the 23rd Amendment. So those are the three that back in 1993, the Heritage Foundation was talking about this. So the idea that the Democrats think they have a workaround here is ludicrous. Um, so, so I'll, I'll post all this on our social media if you want to, if you have an interest in it and you want to review it yourself. So, all right, let's do some more news and hear what that's Rick Delgado. What's going on, pal? All right. Well, if, uh, the warm weather, as we get closer to the summer and you're looking to do, do some traveling, so you can strike the George Floyd square off your travel list. If you're a white person, because it's giving a list of special orders just for white visitors. Yes, the square where George Floyd was murdered uh, now has a sign with special rules just for white people. The placard at the entrance of George Floyd Square in Minnesota calls it a sacred space for community public grief and protest, telling visitors to honor the space as a place to connect and to grieve as caring humans. But most of the instructions are listed under five orders for quote-unquote white people in particular. Uh, Number one is decenter yourself, whatever that means, and come to listen, learn, mourn, and witness. The first bullet point reads, adding that, remember, you are here to support, not to be supported. All right. Moving on to bullet point number two. Be mindful of whether your volume, your pace, and your movements are supporting or undermining your efforts to decenter yourself. That's bullet point number two. Again, whatever the heck that's supposed to mean. But if you're white, I guess I guess you know what that means. Uh, white visitors are also ordered to seek 
to contribute to the energy of the space rather than to drain it. Bring your own process to other white folks so that you will not harm the BIPOC. It says you can using the acronym for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Uh, a fourth instruction sounds tells, like uh, so far the opening <laughs> sounds like opening class at any one of our un- illustrious universities these days. Yeah, the um, fourth instruction tells people to use caution taking photos for social media, especially without consent for people in them. It's not clear why this is aimed at white people in particular, but you can probably make something up and they'll agree with you. If your whiteness, if you witness white folks, (laughs) this is great. If you witness white folks doing problematic things, speak up with compassion to take the burden off black folks and our siblings of color whenever appropriate. The final instruction reads. So there you go, seeking to engage rather than escalate. They want it to be a learning moment rather than a disruption. And again, that's happening at uh, George Floyd Square in Minnesota. I wonder if you can get a fast pass and just bypass the line. Uh, What else is going on in the news? Well, LinkedIn has jumped in and has decided it's going to start censoring people as well. Yes. Uh, When the UK Daily Mail published a bombshell report on the verified contents of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop earlier this month, sharing the shocking details the president's son left out of his his low-selling memoir, Stuart Baker tried to share it. Baker, a former National Security Agency general counsel, and Department of Homeland Security subcabinet appointee took to LinkedIn. The social media giants that won't let you say the 2020 election was rigged are the people who did their best to rig it. Hunter Biden's laptop was genuine and scandalous, the Daily Mail wrote. Uh, The post didn't last long, though, because the Microsoft-owned professional social network told Baker it had removed it for posting for the post for violating the professional community policies and warned him that depending on the severity of the violation, your account may be restricted indefinitely. The policies vaguely state that posted content should be professionally relevant and meant to contribute to the LinkedIn community in a constructive manner. Its guidelines ask users not to post anything misleading, fraudulent, obscene, threatening, hateful, defamatory, illegal, or discriminatory. Baker was alarmed. He says, I've gotten more than 5,000 contacts in LinkedIn, and I use it in business almost every day. Losing my account would be a blow. It's been about 10 days since LinkedIn first threatened to suspend his account, and it still hasn't told him how his post has violated their rules, his lawyer told Just the News on Tuesday. He says, I've been looking for a mechanism to appeal the original uh, suppression, and I haven't found one. He wrote in an email, uh, LinkedIn declined to tell Just the News how Baker's post violated the rules, including whether the use of rigged triggered an algorithmic response. Maybe you should uh, reach out to LeBron James and see how he gets away with it. Maybe that'll give him some idea because uh, Twitter obviously didn't have a problem with LeBron James. Yeah. Um, Almost incitement of violence tweet. That he pulled down. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he still has access to his Twitter account and has not been uh, has not been temporarily suspended. Donald J. Trump, forty fifth president, has put out a statement. LeBron James should focus on basketball rather than presiding over the destruction of the NBA, which has just recorded the lowest television ratings by far in the long and distinguished history of the league. His racist rants are divisive, nasty, insulting and demeaning he may be a good basketball player but he's doing nothing to bring our country together and you know what's funny also is i saw a video today i was gonna 
put it on the show of LeBron James, but he was NBA stuff all over it, so I couldn't. The licensing would be a disaster. But uh, he's in a post game press conference when he played for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I don't know what the question was, but he it was had to be something issue, some incident must have happened, and he says, "Well, he's got a whole lot, a little bit of a different take back then." When he wasn't out with all the systemically racist people in L.A., I guess, when he was back in Cleveland, he was—he you know, said more of, um, "Well, you know, we just need to be, um, you know, we need to take care of each other, and not all cop—not all cops are bad because most of them are not. They're good, and not all—not uh, all people are good. Some of them are bad, and then, you know, all—all all lives do matter." He said, and we need to remember that. Yeah, I saw that today, and I was thinking, geez, <laughs> we should introduce this LeBron to the, the, the now current LeBron because the times have changed now. Now he's, li- he's left Cleveland, so he didn't buy a house there or send his kids to school there or do anything there in Cleveland where he was born, uh, where the community that he so clearly says he speaks for, but he moved to where the systemically racist people are there in Beverly Hills, and he bought a house there. Or a couple houses. Uh, three. Yeah. Three. But that was, a little, it was a little, just a little different take from LeBron back then. And, uh, well, the president's right. The president's right. He's yeah. a solid, gold-plated phony on these issues. And we all know that. So yeah. Amazing. Hey, right, any, anything else quickly, Rick? Yeah, speaking of sports real quick, GOP congresswoman uh, is in favor of ending the MLB antitrust exemption. She says, make them compete. We're talking about Representative Claudia Tenney, and uh, she is stepping up. She's a representative out of the great state of New York, believe it or not. She has firsthand experience with an overburdened election process and says that Major League Baseball should not be exempt from antitrust laws and should compete like everyone else and have to be accountable like everyone else. This comes, of course, on the heels of the MLB moving its all-star game from Atlanta to Denver after Georgia passed a new election law that well, President, President Biden called Jim Crow of the 21st century. Tenney told the uh, John Solomon Reports podcast, my concern is why is MLB getting involved in politics at all? This is more of a politi- politicization of our culture. You know, everything we have, we have now has to do with politics. It's like moving the Supreme Court and packing the court, adding nine to 13 just so we have a super legislature, just, an- just another legislature and what the Supreme Court is going to be reduced to. What is, what is exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing? So she wants the MLB to, uh, you know, lose that exemption. We'll do some sports, wrap it up on a Thursday night live from Studio 6B. We're back right after this. Studio 6B, 13 to the hour. And here with that's Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? All right, Big D, we got another rodeo in action, the 22nd to the 25th, the Clovis Rodeo, Clovis, California, at the Clovis Rodeo Arena. Just a 
couple of uh, events tonight in round two. Steel wrestling, Billy Boogening, nice time, 3.2 seconds. Team roping, Brandon Beers and Russell Cardoza uh, in 8.3 seconds. And tie down roping, Spencer Moulton roped her up in eight and a half seconds. We'll keep an eye on that and have more tomorrow night on both rodeos. Uh, M- uh, MLB action. Yankees just went final over the Indians, 6-3. to three. The Red Sox over the Mariners, 3-2 to two in the 8th. Cubs lead the Mets 3-2 in the 6th. Astros 6 nothing over the Angels. That's in the 4th. Marlins at the Giants and Pirate Padres visit the Dodgers at 10 p.m. tonight. Yankees are off to a good start. <laughs> yeah, they're having a rough, <laughs> rough Hey, run. they won today. Now only four games under 500. There you go. So yeah. one, one game at a time. Best team money could buy. Uh, NHL action. Hurricanes over the Panthers 3-2. That's in the thirds. Final, uh, Penguins 5-1 over the Devils. Another final, Bruins 5-1 over the Sabres. Rangers uh, fall to the Flyers 3-2. That's a final. Maple Leafs over the Jets 5-3 final. Islanders lose a tough one in a shootout with the Capitals. Capitals win 1-0. The Lightning 3-1 over the Blue Jackets final. Red Wings 4-2 over the Stars late third. Avalanche lead the Blues 2-1. That's in the second. Senators go out west to take on the Canucks. That puck drops at 10 p.m. NBA action. We have a final. The Celtics 99, Suns 86. One, the Bucks beat the Sixers 124 to 17. That one final. The Spurs 57-47 at the half over the Pistons. And the Bulls right now 39-27 over the Hornets. That's in the second. Lakers visit the Mavs. That's at 9:30. That Pelican Magic game is off the chart. I think the Pelicans won by 35, so it's, uh, we won't even talk about that one. Uh, Brett Favre says it's hard to believe Derek Chauvin meant to kill George Floyd. This is by Jackie Salo of the New York Post. After urging athletes to stay out of politics, NFL Hall of Fame Brett Favre weighed in on the guilty verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, saying he didn't believe the former Minneapolis cop meant to kill George Floyd. I find it hard to believe, and I'm not defending Derek Chauvin in any way. I find it hard to believe, first of all, that he intentionally meant to kill George Floyd. Uh, he said Wednesday on his Bowling with Favre podcast. Uh, that being said, his actions were uncalled for. I don't care what color the person is on the street. I don't know what led to that video that we saw where his knee is on his neck, but the man had thrown in the towel. Favre 51 also responded to the heat he received last week for saying that politics should be kept out of sports before then calling players kneeling uh, for the national anthem of shame. He just says uh, he finds it hard to believe. You know, Favre has been very outspoken, um, but um, obviously, you know, he can't say what he wants to say on his own either. Um, And uh, he said, I just gave my opinion. I'm certainly not a racist in spite of what some people might think. And you know, I'm for unity. I just feel like there's a better way to unify our country. That being said, there's a lot of things that need to stop, Favre said. Other than the right answer is that all we we all get along. It seems like the most people, the more people try, the more damage is done, Favre said. So, you know, he's getting in a little bit of heat there. But uh, hey, it's his show. He's entitled to speak Big D. Well, I guess if you're going to say something, but if you're going to say, oh, I think this, but I don't think that. And then, I mean, it just sounds like he's flipping. I mean, what is he, what is he saying? Yeah. I don't know. He's trying, to cover, 
cover his tracks, I guess. Um, and this is the uh, um, NHL rebuts uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Robin Leonard has claimed that the league promised to loosen protocols after vaccination by Emily Kaplan and ESPN. Vegas Golden Knights Golden Tenor, goaltender Rob Leonard said that NHL players were lied to by the NHL and NHLPA representatives about loosening restrictions after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine, a claim that has been disputed by the league. Um, and uh, Leonard went on to say, they told me yesterday that they're surveying all the teams to see who has who has taken the vaccine and who has not taken the vaccine and they're not going to change the rules for us players until all the players had the vaccine at the time so it's not a competitive edge. Lena suffers from uh, a lot of issues. He has a lot of uh, you know post-traumatic issues from a child being a childhood. He's, he's a great goalie for them but uh, he's uh, very upset about this. He just doesn't think they're getting a fair shake. They weren't told that they were going to have to continue to you know be separated from one another in the locker rooms and on the road. And, uh, you know, it's just becoming a real issue for, uh, for the NHL. The NHL is following the NBA's protocol, believe it or not. Um, and uh, speaking of the Golden Knights, they became the first team to in the NHL to clinch a playoff uh, berth. Uh, Vegas, which leads the NHL with 33 wins and 68 points, also became the fourth franchise in NHL history to make the playoffs in each of its first four seasons. So Rob Len is going to have plenty of action in the NHL. And uh, you know what, Big D? I'm going to wrap it now. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Well, one more. Uh, uh, so Dana White and Snoop Dogg are uh, arguing over $2 million bet controversy. Uh, this is from the Jake Paul fight. This is from Jenna Lemoncelli of New York Post. Snoop Dogg's hopes uh, shouldn't be so high. No pun intended. On Wednesday, UFC President Dana White denied ever agreeing to bet with Snoop after the rapper claimed that White owes him $2 million after Jake Paul defeated Ben Askren. They were apparently on a, on a Tyson Mike Tyson podcast a few weeks ago, and Dana White said that uh, Askren was going to actually destroy Jake Paul, and uh, Snoop Dogg said, well, let's put some money on this. So, supposedly, he agreed to the $2 million bet, but of course, Dana White is backpedaling, saying, hey, I wouldn't do something like that. First of all, it's illegal, and I would get better odds by gambling in Vegas. So <laughs> anyway, that's a funny story out of that weekend, and uh, that's a wrap in sports, Big D. All right, thanks, Rick. Uh, what else is going on in the news, um, Rick? Uh, well, something else to, to kind of give you a little bit of hope. Key Senate Republicans are demanding Capitol Police explain the initial misreporting of the death of Officer Brian Sicknick. Uh, as you might remember, um, he died, of course, the day after the the uh, riot at the Capitol uh, uh, and, a, and a key Senate Republican yesterday demanded that Capitol Police explain why it was initially reported that Officer Brian Sicknick died of injuries sustained in the January 6th riot when in fact his death was ruled caused by natural causes caused by the strokes that he had the day after the death of any police officer is a tragedy and the use of any police officer's death for political purposes or to create a false narrative is reprehensible and disrespectful to the officer, the officer's family and the officer's memory. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin wrote in a letter. Uh, Johnson's letter specifically zeroed in on the January 7th statement. The police force issued claiming Sicknick died from injuries sustained while on duty after physically engaging with protesters during the riot. The senator noted earlier this week that the D.C. chief medical examiner, Francisco Diaz, concluded that Sicknick suffered two strokes and died of natural causes a day after he confronted rioters and that his body exhibited no evidence of internal or external injuries. Johnson, the top Republican on the powerful Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigation, also challenged subsequent reporting, claiming Sicknick may have suffered a fatal reaction and died from bare pepper spray dispersed 
by the rioters. So there you have that. And, and, and it's starting to gain, gain more and more scrutiny because well, of what they said. If you remember, we went through the, shockingly, it was shockingly in CNN that wrote um, that article saying, you know, there's a Capitol Police officer here who has died and, and nobody knows the reasons yet. While Meanwhile, the media was running almost 24-7 with the fact that it was at the hands of the riders. He was hit on top of the head with a fire extinguisher. They were running with all of these different things. Uh, meanwhile, they had no, really no idea. They politicized it, and they didn't have any idea. And, that, and their own outlet posted one of the articles that caught my attention, and then the other one was in, I believe it was um, the Revo Revolver. Uh, they also posted, what, what's going on here? There's something going on. We're, we're, we're uh, 39 days past his death, and no one has given us a specific reason. Well, now we have a specific reason. Right. It, it, it's just another version or another edition of the wrap-up smear. They found something. They pushed a narrative that wasn't true. Everybody reported it, ran with it, and there you have it. Yeah. All right. As always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders. Thanks, everybody, on the show. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Real America's Voice. Most of all, thank you, the live from Studio 6B audience. Make sure you enter our Mother's Day giveaway. Make sure you follow us live from Studio6B.com. 6BShirts.com if you want to get that crazy town shirt or that slick Rick Sports shirt. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow night. Back with you in 22 to wrap up the week on a Friday night. We'll see you then.